in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my bad mother of a co-host, Patrick Pister. <laughs> Did you put that in there? I may have written that one this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Patrick. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. How are you? We're doing really good. It's actually kind of frigid for Houston. It's nice. I've got a jacket on. It's yeah. comfortable outside for once. Yeah, it's 60, what, five degrees? <laughs> we're wearing jackets. <laughs> so you know we're from here. And we actually have some guests on, don't we, today? Yeah, we're here at the Boxing Group in Houston, Texas, talking with Larry Powers and Kettle Bean. Welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. And before we get into your story, which is a fascinating story, I just want to stop. If you listen to the show and you want to support us, the best way you can, best thing you can do to support us is leave us a review. And we're going to read one right here. This is from Ready to Run 89. Great show that is easy to listen to and is very informative. Mark and Patrick take EHS, obviously they're not from Oil and Gas because it's HSE, <laughs> and make it entertaining. Keep up the great work, guys. So please, if you want to support the show, leave us a review. We would be so thankful and we'll give you a big shout out. So I want to get back to the Boxley Group. So, Kettle, what is your background? You don't sound like you're from South Texas. No, I'm uh, I'm Norwegian, and probably Houston's actually the place I've lived the longest my whole life. Yeah. And how did you get interested in oil and gas? Well, background is uh, I'm a naval architect and uh, offshore engineer, and they're hard to come by these days. But uh, and did my MBA, and that disqualified me as a uh, as an engineer. I guess <laughs> ended up basically here in the U.S. for mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, and it's a naval architect. That's a skill set we haven't run across yet. That's a whole developing science, right? Not that long ago, that was people still doing stuff on paper. Now it's become super complex. There's a lot of technology involved in that. There's a lot of new designs as far as hulls and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. That's an exciting place to be. Yes, it is. But again, it's a uh, well. It's a it's an industry with probably some very very long traditions. I'll tell you, Mark. uh, They're the ones that design rigs and ships with the valves running too close to a bulkhead, so you can't actually get your hands in there to replace it. It's uh, (laughs) my favorite one is they had a a grate, a wall grate over a backup generator, and they overdesigned the grate for about a forty percent safety factor, which was great because it wouldn't fail, but nobody could open it to service the generator. (laughs) (laughs) And we could go on and on and on. And we also have Larry here. Larry, how you doing today? I'm doing great. And Larry, you and I have met before. We can't figure out where. Yeah. We just want a conference hook. or something. Yeah, as long as it wasn't some bar somewhere, which yeah. it could have been. <laughs> but Patrick, you, you ran into Larry just recently, didn't we you? We did. We were down in Galveston for the IDC Human Factors Conference, which was actually uh, pretty great. The speakers there, which you were one of them, I just had a wealth of knowledge they were sharing. It was it, it was nice to, to hear actionable speaking presentations. Good speakers, and, and it was run real well. Whoever set it up and, and was managing it handle it. And it, it's a smaller conference, but a lot of value over the over the couple of days. Absolutely. Yeah, and Larry, you actually spoke about the shortfall and competency management. And we just got back from lunch and Patrick and I were talking about how we wish we would have captured the audio at lunch. We need to figure <laughs> out how to do that. But you know, that's a really enormous problem in our industry that a lot of people don't even understand. So before we get even deeper, what is competency? Well, a competence is a single skill or knowledge that you would possess you then take those and come pull them together into a 
a list of competencies tied to a specific specific job, a specific uh, role that you might have to play. Yeah, and so competencies, understanding competencies, you're basically outlining what the basics are, whether it is experience, education, skill set, sometimes even personality that it takes to actually get that particular job done. Yeah, you identify the competency and you're competent based on education, training, or experience, right? And that competency could be the ability to exhibit specific behaviors, kind of saying this exact same thing as as you're saying. I mean, it's everything from, do you know how to use a torque wrench to can you listen well or take notes? Depending on what that specific job is, you have different competencies. So obviously, somebody that's running a checklist over a BOP before it goes down has a whole different let competencies that he's got he or she's got to master than somebody that's writing code for you know an app dev job. Right? They're 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 both a job, but you can describe those in details. Right. So what's the advantage to a company in understanding competencies? Oh, competencies are the core of the company. Right. That that's how a company would would execute its strategy in the organization from a people side, tactically, right? So competencies tie into every single aspect of the human capital management flow of uh, processes, right? From the very beginning, from the recruiting, what are you recruiting for, right? And the business needs to give those competencies to HR to out, go out and get recruiting. Your, your performance management while you're there, Right. What drives your performance is how competent are you and are you developing? Are you improving those competencies and you know, all the, the planning, the human capital management planning that goes into it? Competencies is the the basic, the crux of those. And it's kind of a, a dis- discrepancy that's going on in business today is that most of those human capital management processes are run by HR, but it's really the business that does it. Right. Right. So. HR owns it, but the business has to do it. I mean, we talked about recruiting. The business has to give those competencies to HR. And HR doesn't really know what are the seven parts of a blowout preventer, right? They just they just take the information, they go get it, and they try and do their best to sort through and then give those give the qualified candidates to the hiring manager, right? Do your performance evaluation. HR has to do it, right? They have to make sure it gets done, but it's really the business that runs those and, and determines whether this person can be promoted or not. And with a lot of these jobs, the competencies were set. Maybe they were defined by operations at one point, but they've just been the product or the, the own, owned by HR forever. The only time I've seen operations really get involved is if when there was a operations has the budget, well, they want to cut some of the budget. So they got in with HR and like, what competencies can we get rid of? But yeah, like you said, they're, it's owned by HR, but it's the operations team that has to have the competencies, has to have the, and more than that, the skills that those competencies define really. Right, right, right. And too often those competencies are identified by, you know, how many, a year experience working with a blowout preventer or, or something that's not measurable at all where you need to get your competencies so that you can actually measure it to determine whether that person has that or not. Just because they went out and got a certification someplace doesn't mean that they're competent or went to a training doesn't mean that they're competent. Yeah, and it gets much bigger than that. You and I were talking at lunch. So when you start looking at the future of a company, if you, everything from succession planning to where do I want to spend my future training dollars to the future success of projects, if you don't understand where your workforce is competent, where it's not, you're making guesses. Whereas if you know where those gaps are, you can actually apply your limited resources and funds to a place that actually makes a difference. 
Correct. And basically allows you to, to, to plan ahead. And typically companies, while well, they set strategies for, well, four, five, six years ahead, and, and people are still the engine that's going to deliver that strategy or the, or the business plan and ensuring that you, uh, that you continue to fill your talent pool obviously is, is, is critical for the execution of really anything that you do. But probably even more importantly, with the way that, uh, that business is going, what you'll find is that knowledge is actually doubling every year. And just some interesting facts for you, in 1900, knowledge was doubling every 100 years. At the end of uh, World War II, you found that uh, knowledge was uh, doubling every, uh, every 45 years, and now it's actually once a year. Yeah, crazy fast growth. And couple that with the fact that skills become outdated after two and a half to five years. So you see that basically the whole idea behind competency and managing competency and becoming more and more critical as a way of staying ahead of what's coming basically in the marketplace, ensuring that your your company stays agile and is able to to respond to different market forces. Yeah, because what you need to recruit or hire for today is going to be different you know, a year from now, this even affects stuff like sales and marketing. We're talking about this, you know, what skill sets does it take to make for a competent marker marketer in oil and gas in the 1970s and eighties? Well, that was a lot of print, right? A lot of copywriting and stuff. What does it take to be a successful marker now? It's not print. It's not copyright anymore. And that's going to continue to change. So competencies are almost like the center of, of everything that goes on in a business. And I actually have a bit of a, a little bit of a passion around this is something that we've touched before. But the cool thing is when you think about trying to drive a safety culture, your competencies are everything. And it's it's where you start to make a difference. And if you don't start and if you don't capture that right, you're you're not gonna be able to make a change. You're right. Yeah. Well and, and kettle cell, so you said you know, two, two and a half years and the knowledge drops off. And I think that might even be a conservative estimate because Donna Galveston, one of the speakers, one of the uh, researchers, he was finding that Within a few weeks, if you're not actively doing whatever you were trained in, it, your knowledge just drops off, just off a cliff. So it's good to define. We're talking about competency. We're not talking about a certification or a single training course, but it's the ability to execute what you've learned in those courses is what we what you would define competency. It's not any one thing. No, it's best you can take knowledge. It's typically what you'd get from 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 training. You may apply. You may get skills, but the ability to apply that skill in a in a skillful manner through basically something that you build via experience, that is ultimately what makes someone competent. Yeah, if, if you can't measure what they do and compare it, I would say, I don't want to say it's not a competency. Well, and that brings me mm-hmm. to my next question or point is where are the gaps? So when we're talking about competencies, I know the HR professionals who do own this stuff. They, I, I would say they probably think they have a good handle on what competency is and they've got their spreadsheets with the, you know, we've got, you know, Tom is a driller and he's got this, 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 and this. And when he wants to become a tool pusher, he needs to get these other three competencies and these there. So with that kind of base framework that these HR professionals are coming from and even operations people, where are the gaps? Where do you see competency is thought of as one thing in the field, but it, that's not actually what it is. And, and how are we close those gaps? Well, I think, first of all, you need to very clearly define what is the standard that you're pursuing around competency and create what you call competency maps or skill maps that clearly lays out what the expectation is for any given role and what levels that uh, that you would determine of, of uh, competency. So say from 
one to four, going from level one being aware to basically level four being a uh, subject matter expert. So being able to spell BOP versus being able to <laughs> troubleshoot and work on it. Or basically redesign basically a BOP. And exactly. So I think laying that out and basically having a, a standardized way of measuring this across an organization is really when you start getting the analytics that you need in order to 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 see what the business has, what it doesn't have, where the gaps are, and also basically where, where does a business need to invest? And saying, well, it may even just be for the point of, of saying, well, it's not a competency that we're going to build. It's actually a competency that we're going to outsource because we just, we just don't do it in-house. It's also be a comp that you want to buy, right? If you need a special skill set or whatever, maybe you don't need an employee, maybe you hire a contractor for three months. But once again, you can measure to make sure they can move the needle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so when you think about competencies, one thing that a lot of people probably would never tie together is something like process safety with competencies. And process safety and competencies are joined at the hip, aren't they? They are. Look at all the different activities that go on in process safety, your, your management of change, your, your response processes. Well, who's in charge of those? Is that person competent to be able to run those programs? Are the people that are actually doing the processes, are they competent on, in those processes and those activities? what's the measure? Yeah. And how do you measure it? And, you know, everything from the guy that's doing fire control in the front line, he may have taken a three-day course. Can he actually point the fire extinguisher at the base of the fire and pull the trigger properly? Right. You, you don't know that. You can measure it and you can know for sure. You can even know if he's okay or really good at that. And then if you look across your entire organization, if you have an emergency response team, you can see, hey, my people are really strong in this part, right? Maybe they're weak in first responder, first aid. Well, I'll take my limited resources and apply that instead of just blanket training everybody. And I drive a bigger safety culture. I have less incidents. I spend less money and I have more capable people on my uh, HS and E team. Well, right. And I don't know if we want to go down the route, but you, you can be competent in something, you can be certified, but then throw a stressful environment. So in a classroom, I can tell you I need to spray the fire hose at the base of the fire. In practical application, when I have professors around me with full fire gear ready to come in and save me, I can put out a fire. <laughs> when my rig is on fire and I'm the last line of defense to put that fire out and the stress and the fatigue of, of a full day's work, that changes your ability to act on the competencies that you, the knowledge that you have in your head. Again, I don't really know if we want to go down the route of, are right, you've got a competency and you can do it. Can you do it in a stressful environment? But you know, Patrick, I bet you can measure that. I bet that in itself is a competency. I was just going to go there. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, you actually two different competencies, your ability to act under pressure and your knowledge of how to put that fire out, right? So you can actually measure and put people under stressful situations and observe that they have that competency. And you can also find the ones that have the training and education that don't have that performance under pressure, and you want to make sure they're not your frontline people. And then they get you know, supplemental training just around that one little piece. Yeah. So how are, how are your clients or how are you seeing the market do that? How are they getting competent in the stressful environments? Because in my experience working offshore, I haven't seen that other than we'll have the fire drill at night instead of during the day. <laughs> but most other, other trainings are just, yeah, complete the training, complete the task, and, and test out. So, and I think probably what's actually also being, being, used more and more is really typical simulation and uh, where you can just simulate just one one incident or one part basically what that also has as a follow-on effect on other parts of the operation and yes you can train and, and simulate in one area but when you're actually simulating this in a variety of areas at the same time really putting the whole team under stress not just the individual 
is something that's also being being uh, I suppose increased awareness within the oil and gas industry. That's true. Also, virtual reality is coming down the pipe pretty quick, and I'm seeing a lot more of that in the oil and gas industry. So you can actually, you know, you put the goggles on and you can be in a pretty stressful situation and be able to perform the the competency that you're supposed to. I've seen enough people with VR glasses duck. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells you that their brain is seen as reality, yeah. right? Yep. Um, so that's a, a great example. Where do we do VR? It was at, at Accenture, wasn't it? Accenture had, yeah. And they brought it out to the last conference we were at, uh, the Internet of Things. They think they had their, their VR. But yeah, and I've seen people, you know, you know, mountain climbing in VR and actually fall over as they're putting their weight into the into the equipment. That's it's very cool. They're using technology to simulate those stressful environments. That again, I haven't. When I was working offshore a few years ago, but it, there were, you'd have your drills and it was pretty low stress. You knew what you're going to do. You know, uh, I mean, the biggest concern was is my piece of equipment going to work, and if not, I got to repair something. But it's you know, it's a it's a simulation. It's okay. It's also very cost effective, right? Because you can package up your your VR training and send it off to Kazakhstan and then they can take the training and all then you send it over somewhere else and it's very cost effective once you have it developed so you could conceivably put these people under stress you could measure their reactions you can then measure and catalog their competencies but let me ask you this how is our industry doing that now in these large enterprise corporate structures you know do the big majors do they know the competencies of their people? Because there's so many people, so many different business units. And I, I would think there's probably a bunch of disjointed tools they're using to track some of this where there's no way that anybody at the top can look at the entire organization. Am I think I'm right about that? I'll take that one, Mark. It's, it's Excel. They're, they're using Excel <laughs> spreadsheet for everyone in the company. <laughs> it's sad. It's probably true. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, there are tools tools out there and probably do some, uh, some uh, self-promotion here that – we have a, a competency tool called Competency IQ, and it is a Microsoft certified solution. And it uh, sits on Azure, so it uses all of the latest and greatest kind of cloud technology. And in fact, as far as we're aware, it's the only Microsoft certified competency management solution in the marketplace. And it's already been deployed to, uh, to 17 different countries. And the feedback that we've had from it has been uh, has been tremendous. Yeah, we got a chance to look at it just briefly. And the thing that struck me is the user interface is ridiculously easy to understand. Like the learning curve to understand what's going on, it was all of 13 seconds. And unlike a lot of other tools in our industry <laughs> that take years to learn, um, I just thought it was you could glance the screen within a few seconds. I realized what what is going on. And so can, could a large company bring your system into their enterprise and then roll it out? And then once everything is set up and once you have the processes set up where people are entering the information in the right way, will that allow people at the very top of the organization to look at their entire enterprise and see, you know, who has great HSE competencies, who has great copyright competencies? Where is there gaps in my training for my engineers? Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Um, a competitive differentiator. If, if you're a large company out there and you could see what engineering talents you have a gap in and your competitors are still trying to read Excel spreadsheet <laughs> that's three months old, that's huge. Yeah. So not only that, but you're also targeting the, uh, the hard-to-come-by training budgets to become really effective because now you're targeting a closing gaps that actually exist and you're targeting those gaps specifically as a way of uh, continuing to build your, your organization. Yeah, so instead of and, bringing in some generic training, you know exactly where you need to spend your training dollars, and you can see that it moves a needle. You can measure that. Yeah, and it kind of also brings back the whole thought of 
the acceleration of uh, growth in knowledge. And typically, we look at performance measurements for for uh, employees or or the company resources happens once a year. Now you know that knowledge grows basically uh, every year or doubles every year. How do you keep track of that? So basically looking at development of people isn't just an annual thing anymore. It's something that's a continuous effort that needs to go on within companies as a way of staying competitive and, and staying ahead of the, uh, the, the war on talent. Yeah, and unfortunately, even today, it's 2017, most large oil and gas companies I know, their performance review process is really not that valuable, no matter what they tell you. It's a chore that's dumped on the managers once a year. They try to hurry up and get through it as quick as possible. The employee has little or no input. There are some companies out there, and I'm not going to name names, but there's some pretty cool oil and gas companies that have taken that same process and flipped it on its head, where it's not done once a year. It's not a chore on the manager. They have technology in there that helps pick up that administrative chore. The employee and the management engage together. Each employee's goals are different based on what they want to achieve. And what you're talking about is that exact thing, right? Where now all of a sudden the employee's engaged. You're helping the employee advance his career, which only helps the company grow its talent set. And the company as a whole, including the shareholders of the company, benefit from this, right? Because now you're internally growing and maturing your own talent in a way that makes sense without using a shotgun approach or using a rifle approach where you target exactly on what you need to do. Well, benefit may just even be that you uncover talent that you didn't know you mm-hmm. had. <laughs> well, and, and your uh, employees don't have to play the game. If they're a rotational worker, if they've got a 28 and 28, 20 and 21 and 21, mm-hmm. you know, you want to get your your yearly evaluation or your six-month evaluation done with the supervisor out there that you know is going to evaluate you better. And you want to make sure you fit into his schedule. But everybody's trying to do that. If you don't get it in time or you're the other supervisor, I, I know I'm going to get a bad review. Or Everybody plays that game. You've got one supervisor you want to do your review with, the other one you don't. And like I said, you don't have to have, play that game. I, and I, re- sorry, I, I'm, I really want to get more into this uh, competency IQ. I wish our audience could see it because it was so many features. Everything was all bundled into one. And I, I, I kind of want to walk through what those features were to talk about. This isn't, we joke about an Excel spreadsheet. This mm-hmm. was an Excel spreadsheet on steroids. It had verifications. It had competency. It had, you mentioned the, the scales and awareness to a, you know, Mastery, Mastery, subject matter experts. And the ability to search globally and build a team. You're looking for an engineer with a well-controlled certificate that also has a leadership training experience, and you want to put him into a specific team, and you're looking around, and you want to fill that team with five other professionals who have different skill sets at the touch of a button. Yeah, it's right at your fingertips. And it's also objective data because you also get it verified as part of basically the the process of assessing someone's competency. So you you can trust it rather than relying on people's memory or personal relationships to figure out, well, who has what. So how is it verified? Who's doing the verification? Is that is that on your side or is that on the company side? And It could be on the company side. It could be also on a, uh, an independent third party as a verification. And uh, you can use... Like the training facility that did... It. Correct. And uh, you send people to a rig to basically verify the fact that, uh, that people actually do know and that they are competent beyond kind of just the certification. And you can hire basically different, so not one company is going to fit basically and be able to assess all of it. So you may use different companies to assess, say, the technical skills. You may use another company to to assess things like soft skills as an example. 
And then you even put that into the system so you can you can see who was the verifying organization or individual, whether it was a supervisor or a third party, and you you log that that into their competency that they correct that is claiming stamped. competency, and then this specific person or company verified that competency. Correct, and that is date stamped. So should anything be needed, you need to go back for whatever reason. You also have then an audible trail for it. Wow, I didn't even get on the audible trail parts. Now you have accountability, right? Now if something happens, if something's misrepresented or what, it's not pointing fingers. You know exactly who did what, when, and where. Risk mitigation. Risk mitigation. <laughs> yes, exactly what that is. That is really cool. So now you're really talking about like a very strategic way to look at and plan your workforce. And even in a large global, you know, like a super major size company. Sure. I mean, you look at uh, the rapid change in technology these days where I could be competent today, but not tomorrow because of some new technology that's come in and take over. How do you, how do you get that out into the, the workforce? If there's a new certification that's required, I'm 100% competent today, but it goes into effect tomorrow. I'm now not 100% competent. With a competency system that, like what we have, you can just put that into the system and automatically populates the entire system. Yeah, and think about that, Patrick. There's different certifications and licenses needed in the North Sea than is in the Gulf of Mexico and so on and so on. And when you've got 50 drill ships out there and they're all crewed, keeping track of all that is, is almost impossible, well, especially in real time. Yeah, whether it's your, your helicopter, whether it's good for tropical or, or Arctic, or if you're talking well controls at IDCF standard, or is it you know U.S. domestic, they, they're well controls, not well controls, not well control, and your Hewitt training is not the same as Hewitt for, yeah. So there's, there are a lot of, and we try, and we kind of simplify things in the oil and gas industry. We'll just, we'll use a term, we'll call it competent or, you know, first day on the rig when I started working in, uh, off the coast of Africa, tool pusher came up and asked if I was a competent person. And I had no <laughs> idea what he was talking about, but my eyes like, I said somewhat, I view myself as somewhat competent. He meant, can I go sniff a gas tank, a, a tank for gas so his guys could go in it? And I wasn't, I wasn't trained or certified, but he had the, the nomenclature, just ask if he's a, he's in the Marine crew, ask if he's a competent person and he can go sign off. But I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, yeah, I think, <laughs> but having a tracking system, he, he could have just gone in, punch it up. Who can come sniff the tank for me? Who's on my rig? Who's on this crew? Exactly. Who's on tower right now? And page one of us to come to the job site versus, Hey, are you a competent person? Come on. Yep. Did you go sniff the tank? But no, I wasn't trained. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> and, and you can do that for your suppliers too. Right, you have that guy show up at the dock or at the heliport. How do you know whether he's competent or not? Right, if he can show an output from our CIQ system that shows that he's got the certifications, he's been through and validated the the competencies that he has, and it has a Q code on there that you can quickly run to see that it's not falsified. It's right out of the system. So you know, it goes a couple ways. You know, if you're the company that's providing the the body or the resource, then that differentiates you because the people that you have showing up are the best and they're always what they say they are. If you're the company that's, that's purchasing that, those resources, you can then go to them and ask them to provide this information or you can make sure that you're getting the right bang for your buck that when you're ordering a, a drilling engineer number three, that you're getting a drilling engineer number three with the competencies that they say, not a drilling engineer number one that's hoping to grow into a number three. Wow. Well, and that's a lot of money too, because when you're talking about, you know, let's, let's look at a whole rig. When you sign a contract, the operator's paying for X number of positions. They want so many drillers, they want so many roustabouts. You can't just staff it with utility hands and, and say that we've got a good, uh, a full rig. You actually have to prove that 
this drilling engineer meets certain criteria. This driller has been drilling for X number of years and has these these. Oh, and if that ship's about to about to sail, and that supplier shows up and he doesn't have the competency, the ship sits there. Millions of dollars because this one individual showed up and wasn't couldn't prove they were competent. I've I've heard of tankers sailing across the Atlantic and not having all the qualified people and just hoping that they don't get a Coast Guard inspection when they get to the U.S. Well, and hope. How often do you actually see people in a heliport actually not being able to go because the certifications basically yeah. have expired? Yeah. And the other and, thing that didn't occur to me just now, so you're also talking about something really big. You know, this is a project-centric industry. Everything we do is project, and we do projects that are billions of dollars. Now you're talking about hitting project milestones and delivery dates, right? If you're a project manager or and you're looking at all these different contractors you're bringing in, you can tell whether they have the competencies that you need to get this project on time and on budget. And you can tell the ones that don't. So you may have vendor A that's cheaper, but he doesn't can't prove that he has with the talent that you need, the right welders and pipe fitters. I mean, you're talking about hitting project milestones with this. This is huge, a huge impact to our industry. Besides just the safe, health, safety, environmental impact. Yeah, and just just to because I know our audience is probably thinking they've got their own service. There are other companies that do that. When you get to Heliport, you've got your one card, and gone are the days of having a binder full of documents and showing every single one of them. I don't think they go as far as this whole competency verification. It's more of a certification repository, and yeah, right. we'll check it off. And if the you know they'll even have the dates, you know your your start date, your expiry date, but they're not. It's it's not verified. It's not actually checking what the level of competency is. So I think seeing what y'all do, and I wish our audience could see it. It goes a step further than if you're only using something to hold documents. That's not what this is. That we're talking not about a full all. competency management system. And you mentioned earlier about years of experience, and I also think the years of experience may not be a good indicator of basically someone's competency because you can have someone been doing the same thing for 15 years and that may actually not be as competent as someone's actually been doing it for six yeah it's yeah. just not a this tenure is just not a good gauge yeah that's right and we don't have a good system i mean there's yeah. linkedin to see where they've been working there's their resume but i had a, a um, hr manager ask me because we both came from a previous company and you know hey this guy said he worked as a driller on this rig for two years you know can you tell me what that rig was doing while we were there and just so happens it was supposed to come to the gulf of mexico when we had a moratorium it was supposed to go to Libya when there were sanctions against Libya. Then it was going to go to Angola, six-month visa process. This guy said he was a driller for two years on a rig that never drilled a well. So you're exactly right. Just looking at my resume, I was in a position for an X number of years. What did you actually do during that time? Yeah, he didn't lie. He, no, no, he, he didn't. He was, well, yeah. I was on that rig. I was yep. on, I, my position was the driller. I was on that rig. It was a yep. period of two years. So now he's not going to offer up the information yeah. that he was drinking Actually, coffee and hanging out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and We're, in fact, you bring up a good point. I'll give you an example. When we, uh, when we first piloted this with a, a client, we uh, took a measurement across a business unit, and we found that uh, they had a contractor that's supposed to be a level three and barely scraped through as a level two. And so two concerns with that. One, you're overpaying for the resource that uh, that, that you have. But more importantly, you're having someone being put in a trusted position to do certain work that they may not be competent to do. And you really don't know what what the risk exposure of, the, of that work would be at, at further down the line. So ensuring that you have competent people uh, when they're designing or, or executing or operating even machinery is paramount to making sure that people can go home to their families every day. Right? Yeah, yeah powerful. Well, let me pivot on that just a little bit. On that point, we're talking about risk mitigation and competencies. Think about the cybersecurity world. 
right? Everybody knows that there's more jobs out there than there are people to fill them, right? So companies are out there trying to fill these these positions with maybe competent people. Have they clearly defined what the competencies are needed for those cybersecurity positions, right? Because you talk about risk mitigation. If somebody's in there that's supposed to be protecting your your most important data your or technology, are they competent to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole burgeoning world of hurt that's going on right now. Anybody can call himself a cybersecurity expert. How do you know? And what does that mean? And at what degree, at what level, right? Exactly. Are you a hardware security, cybersecurity expert? Are you a software, right? Are you a network? I mean, it's, it, you know, are you storage? We could do this conversation. Yeah. Forever, but <laughs> we're getting to the point where we need to start winding down the show. It's time for the Red Wing tip of the week. Do, does one of y'all have a uh, Red Wing safety tip of the week? Three points when you're going downstairs, upstairs, make sure that you got your hand on the rail, foot on the on the uh, steps, going yep. up and down. Yep, my son hates that. I make him when he goes <laughs> up down the stairs. Three points of contact all the time. Like, my oh, family, Dad. too. I was actually just thinking about that a little bit, and we may cut this out of the out of the show, but it's not really three points of contact. If you, as you're stepping up the stairs, you're supposed to, you know, you can carry tools, you can hold the handrail, you have two feet. As you're actually stepping up, you're going down to two occasionally every step you take. It's uh, and I know it's a semantics argument, but when you talk about 100% tie off, 100% tie off means 100% tie off. When we say three points of contact, that's eh, three points of contact as you're walking it's, up. So it varies. It's two to three. Two it to is. Three. It's two, three, two, three, two, <laughs> three, two, three. Yeah. It so is. If but you called it two, three points of contact, would make yeah. sense. And if you stood still, it is three points it of is. contact. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You also had one you mentioned before was about walking with your hands in your pockets. If yeah. you trip, how are you going to protect yourself? Yep. Yeah. Right. And and even so, I was on a rig, and I again we're getting a little long winded on this, but a guy was he was using the trailing hand technique going downstairs. The policy was to take your shoes off when you come in the house. You don't track mud in, which makes your coveralls now below your your heel. Mm-hmm. And he slipped on his coveralls. He was using the trailing hand technique. He caught himself, dislocated his shoulder. So even following the policies that are in place, you have to think about the extra hazards and, and things that can happen. But it is a good point. Three points of con- two to three points of contact at all times. But you just keep your hand on that handrail and use trailing hand technique if you can. And speaking of boots, Larry, <laughs> here, y'all, y'all see that red bag over there? Yeah, that's the Red Wing offshore bag. It has become a cult item. People offer us insanely amounts of cash for that bag, and we don't take it because we can't, and we don't want to. It's unethical. <laughs> But you can win it. And if you'd like to win one, it's very easy. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put in your information in. We draw one lucky winner a week. And Patrick, who's this week's winner? This week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag is... Stephen Tekany. Stephen's a directional driller at Schlumberger. Congratulations, Stephen. Yeah, so uh, congratulations <laughs> on winning that awesome Red Wing bag. All your peers will be super, super jealous. If you like this show, can you do me a favor? This is your community. The HSE podcast is you. You're the community. Help us grow your community. Share the show. Share it on your social media. Share it to your friends. If you work for a big company, do that all reply email and just put a link saying all I guess HSE rocks. And we would really appreciate it. Take a screenshot of it. I'll send you something really cool. <laughs> and then uh, if you if you're following the show, sign up on our website. Give us your email address. We have some events coming up in 2018. Uh, we promise not to spam you. And you will be the first to learn if you give us your email address on the website. If you want to be second to learn, join a LinkedIn group, Oil and Gas Global Network. It's the companion of this show, all our existing other shows. We have Oil and Gas This Week uh, with Jake and I and uh, Oil and Gas Industry Leader with Paige Wilson. Uh, two, we have two more podcasts coming out probably by 2018 and eight more in the works, so stay tuned. And then we have to give hats off to our on-the-road sponsors, Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system. If you're in that land management world, go check them out. 
And then Lee Heck Harrison, global experts in talent management. Uh, Lee Heck Harrison is currently helping 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. And Patrick, I didn't put an and in there this time. You didn't. You did good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, man, this has been great. We want to come back. We're actually going to come back and revisit with y'all because there's so much more we need to cover. But if people wanted to learn more about your company, where should they go? They can go to boxygroup.com. Right. And or uh, competency IQ dot com okay and and then if they wanted to learn more about y'all personally i'm guessing linkedin on linkedin yeah. find uh kettle bean at, at linkedin.com <laughs> yeah and patrick put links in the show notes oh yep. speaking of patrick put links in the show notes i have to give hats off to emin we just brought emin on board with david studios emin is our new podcast editor for this podcast and all the future podcasts emin is uh doing fantastic work if you have a podcast and we need it edited just for our listeners he's given your first podcast five dollars off editing process so we'll put a link in there to his facebook page the quality of all of our podcasts are getting ready to go through the roof patrick you've done a great job all this time <laughs> you really have but we've finally grown to the point where we need an editor for all the podcasts and for our future shows so emin hats off for joining the oil and gas global network and thank Thank you so much for everything you've done so far. Yeah, so this will be the first episode that he's going to edit. Let us know how you think of the quality. Tell me how great they were the last 57. (laughs) Uh, Patrick, that's about it. Ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. Well, it's been kind of fairly humorous was uh, at a uh, client's office, someone was actually collapsing cardboard boxes and uh, used a uh, tiny little pocket knife. And fortunately, they managed to uh, to nip themselves in the finger. And uh, whereby um, people later actually issued an email saying that knife was actually not an appropriate cutting device. You've got to have those retractables. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. <laughs>